God. Is this... Is this the power of... Proto-culture? Hey everybody, this is Ian from the Inciting Moment Podcast. Uh, who else here is with me? Hi, I'm Sam, and I'll be your guide through Proto-culture when we watch the next episode of Interstellar 555, the multi-dimensional Macross. <laughs> and I'm Scott. I don't have anything uh, funny to say. I'm sorry. I didn't prepare. Nothing has changed. Well, you should have. You very much should have, Scott. Come on. Episode 18, my guy. I'm not funny. (laughs) But you have your moments. That's a lie. Anywho, with Scott in mind, uh, you and me, buddy, we, uh, we, we, we recently saw a Wii film that was theatrically released, but also available for streaming on HBO Max. Yes. Which I'm excited to talk about and see what you think of. But before we get into that, I actually had a few of us do a little fun side experience. Something that I had given a little shout-out to a few episodes back, because uh, oh, I, I love it. It's this fan-made, 24-7 live stream consisting of a bunch of archived broadcast footage, and audio, naturally, of uh, the old Cartoon Network action cartoon slash anime block, Toonami. This site, of course, being called Toonami Aftermath, given that... uh, It is past its heyday all these decades later. And what a treat this is, honestly. It's kind of a under-the-radar kind of thing. It's not something that's always put out there, I assume, just so that not too much attention gets to it and there's potential legal things going on. It's essentially a fan-made live stream that uh, acts as as a way of being able to relive the glory days of uh of the broadcasting block and also as a little time capsule of that era which was like uh, early 90s to uh, early 2000s a good decade of content um what's really cool is that during the week it has its own set schedule that it follows the weekends kind of shifted up and all that and uh sundays well, Sundays are Sundays. I, I don't know what's going on with that. It's a whole amalgamation of stuff. But in between all that, it also has a bunch of classic commercials from that era as well. A bunch that, in pure 90s and 2000s fashion, advertise what is actually going on uh, only in uh, slight portions. Uh, something will be going on in one ad, and uh, you only find out what it's for. <laughs> In the last, like, ten seconds of it all. Uh, whether that be for Ratchet and Clank, Crash Bandicoot, or... Hell, even a Pizza Hut ad. Things will and just kind of be happening. And McDonald's. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of McDonald's. And it's just strange. It varies from either just being a bunch of, like, beauty shots of hamburgers, or other things sort or of what happening I encountered. <laughs> or what Scott encountered, which you'll go into in just a second. But It was a fever dream. But, before we do that, 
why don't we just kind of talk generally what was it like for everyone to uh, experience this fan-made live stream? I would like to go first. Okay. Since I did not grow up on Toonami. Because I had siblings. <laughs> you didn't grow up on Cartoon Network in general, which was where Toonami had its home in the later evening, afternoon, and stuff like that. I grew up on Nickelodeon. Shame. Very nice. Watching Fairly Odd Parents and iCarly, and that's about it. <laughs> I mean, those aren't bad. <laughs> They're okay. And Minutemen, the Nickelodeon movie. But of course, the um, pinnacle of cinema. Yes. Which we will talk about. Um, I thought it was really an interesting sort of time capsule that the they have going. I don't I don't know who to credit with this, uh, but they had multiple different channels, which I thought was really interesting because you flip between certain channels and like decide what you want to watch at certain points. Mm hmm. Um. A lot of McDonald's ads. That is a lot of what I came across. A lot. (laughs) There were a lot of McDonald's ads. Um, Yeah, I saw, from what I saw, they had Interstellar playing one night. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. If I'm not mistaken, uh, it's on Saturdays, where at precisely one in the morning, uh, at least in my time, they will play Interstellar... 555 uh as part of a old section of tsunami when they were starting to go into the way later hours uh which was the midnight run right and uh that's how they top it off well not top it off they they begin it i don't think it was that late it was like right when i got home i looked at it and it was the plane intercella well i mean you also got to remember scott uh you're 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 mr florida man yeah but this was at like 11 p.m interesting yeah uh Maybe they reordered it i don't know saw some Yu-Gi-Oh, which oh, was wrong with Yu-Gi-Oh. fun to watch and earthworm jim which was jarring to watch <laughs> yeah. yeah that that that's an accurate description of uh, that show <laughs> but i mean to really just sum up my thoughts on it i think it's very neat and i probably will uh go back to it yeah honestly because uh I would say it's it's pretty faithfully done. Um, I'm not sure if all of the footage and audio is from broadcast archives or if it's like DVD rips that they just play off as broadcast footage. Right. But a lot of it seems to be decently preserved. Uh, it's not too pixelated. Uh, there's a few, and some of the uh, commercials uh, very clearly are VHS rips, but I mean... How else can you really preserve those things aside from going to the um, the studios that made those commercials and asking, "Hey, can 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 I get your commercial assets from like 1997?" Don't know how well that would play out. <laughs> uh, probably wouldn't get too far if they even have it. Right. What about you, Sammy boy? What was uh, what was it like for you? What did you end up watching? It was like a karate chop to the nuts with nostalgia. I mean, I, I agree with with Scott. It really is an excellent time time capsule. 
I mean, this is mm-hmm. basically like peak 1990s energy. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, we're, like before we have this MCU, the cinematic universe, we have this weird like cartoon network universe where they have little shorts where the characters messing around each other. And it's just, I don't know, there's something almost, I know it's a weird way to put it, but like pure about it, you know? And I, oh, there's yeah. something I just, I just love about it. It's like, yeah, it's it's on a, you know, it's on quote-unquote Cartoon Network. You know I mean? It's on that channel of adults who Cartoon Network, and they just, they ride with it, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's uncorrupted. No, it's just, there's something Honestly. so simplistic, but it's so cool about the whole thing, that ha- that it happened at all is really cool. And it's still technically going on, but I am really caught up with it. Oh, yeah, let, let's, let, let's also just take a moment, not just, you know, regarding the stream, but just Toonami in general. Uh... Toonami came out at just the right time when a little bit more interest in anime was starting to build, and to really capitalize on that, uh, for the longest time, it was like the only place that you could be able to um, watch just massive amounts of um, anime and just all these action cartoons uh, in all one place conveniently without having to like fork up hundreds of dollars for all those like obscenely expensive uh, DVDs because god damn <laughs> if there's one thing that I don't envy about uh, anime collectors back in like the 90s 2000s and hell even 80s uh, what an expensive hobby to get into that nowadays it's just commonplace all over the internet Mm-hmm. Dedication right there. Honestly, yeah. And and the thing about Tsunami is that being able to, like, relive it, it just reminds you of how much care and love went into just structuring the block. Not just in, like, its scheduling, but just, like, the atmosphere it had. Because the whole thing with Tsunami is that it's essentially this, this broadcast that comes from this... <laughs> This this ship in outer space, this super uber-duber sci-fi-looking ship, piloted by a robot named Tom, where literally the only thing he does is just broadcast really rad-looking anime and action cartoons. And he does it with so much pizzazz and just rule of cool to him, you can't not fall in love with it. I mean, it was also just a great introduction of, like, a whole subgenre of music, too. That That's some of the stuff I distinctly remember with their, um, their different promos for the different shows. Like, the show itself could easily be not all that great, but you get one of these promos that has, like, these badass drum and bass, like, techno beats, and, uh... It gets you excited for it. It makes you want to at least check it out because of how it presents it all. And it's just, ah, oh. they hook you in. It hooks you, yeah. I mean, here, here's a little thing. Here's a little thing, right? There's a little anime called uh, Gundam Seed that I uh, here hate we go. with a passion. And I am going to do my best not to go off on too much of a tangent. But not that great of a show. Yet every time I see some of the promos for that show, it makes me want to go and watch it. It makes me want to go and at least give it a shot, because it has my full, undivided attention. Because of just the attitude 
of the music, how Tom builds it up. And freaking, it wasn't just Tom narrating these promos, no. It was also the voice of uh, Peter Cullen, literally Optimus Prime, narrating some of these, which only added to it, honestly. Yeah, it's it really is this big collection of everything that was animated. And it was, like I said, and I'm going to keep repeating this, I apologize, I'm going to sound like a broken record. There's, like I said, there's just something beautiful about it. There, this, I mean, this was before all this, you know, before we felt like the world was going crazy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? With all this, you know, pop politic, political shit, you know? This is before the 2008 recession. This is before, you know, all this weird shit. It, like, 90s through 2000 is really... It's, you know, it's kind of like peak animation in some ways, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cool looking new shows today, but there's something just <laughs> innocent, I guess, about the old uh, shows. You know, I, I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Where it just felt like the entire point they were trying to get a top point across was entertainment. Maybe yes. there would be a lesson in there, but these, I mean, it was just a place for cartoons with a dope-ass... Uh, uh, like almost like a narrator, like you were saying, a narrator slash, uh, uh, what would be a good word for it? Like uh, a voice in the sky. Yeah, essentially. And it was really cool to have. And plus, you know, when you when it's voiced by Spike from uh, Cowboy Bebop, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> that's true. The you uh, could do the, a lot the, worse. The baritones of uh, Steve Bloom. <laughs> you know, it's actually funny thinking that. You know, uh, Metropolis came out in 2001, and there was a video, a specific video I was watching on Toonami, and all the the episodes were from 2001. So it's kind of weird thinking that he was voice acting in that and Toonami probably around the same time. Yeah, no, that's true. You know what I also found interesting was uh, when Tom was first introduced, uh, Steve didn't originally voice him. He was actually voiced by uh, Sonny Strait. And for those of you who may not know who that is, that's the voice of Krillin from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it really is kind of like a tight-knit group, almost. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then he comes around and it's just like, oh. Uh, they, they also found plenty of ways to keep drawing people back in every so often to tune into Toonami because they would have these, like, events from time to time. There would be, like, these uh, short little... Uh, short films that would have, like, Tom going around the ship trying to find some intruder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like this meta-narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have their own little narrative and stuff like that. Um, they, they would call them total immersion events. Other times, it would be more, like, broadcast themes. Uh, for one thing, there was one event that I always liked to tune into, which was uh, Miyazaki Month which is where they would play a bunch of uh, Studio Ghibli's uh, films. Uh, That was actually how I was introduced to the studio when I watched uh, Spirited Away for the first time. I had no idea what was going on in the movie when I saw it as a kid, but I think it says something that even though I couldn't understand a a modicum of the story going on, yet I was still gripped by just the visuals of it all. I mean, Toonami really is to blame for a lot of kids around that generation being introduced to animation like that and animation in general, especially anime. Oh yeah. 
And man, that, that uh, Miyazaki month was so, so nostalgic for me because I remember when that came out. I vividly remember that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, holy crap. Miyazaki movie every, every every Saturday? What's that? You know what the heck is Miyazaki? And the first one I ever watched was Princess Mononoke. And from that point, I was hooked. I'm like, oh. I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on, but it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. staying up uh, with my twin, you know. A lot of nights till ten, because that's when the you know that's when tsunami came on. I'm like, yeah, dude, we gotta stay up for tsunami. That's when DBZ's on. That's when uh, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho is on. That's when. Uh, oh uh, yeah. Buso, uh, you, you know, funny story about that. Real quick, if you don't mind, a small detour. I remember when I was uh, very young, when I was first starting to get into tsunami, my parents wanted to check it out because they wanted to make sure there was no you know bad stuff on it. And I mm-hmm. swear to God. I shit you not, the first thing that comes up, we were watching a show called Buso Rankin, Samurai Show, mm-hmm. and the first thing she sees when it comes on, you know, past all the commercials and whatnot, is some guy, I can't remember, it's been so long since I watched Buso Rankin, some guy with a big sword, which doesn't narrow it down at all, but he takes out this little <laughs> packet, he rips it open, he, uh, you know, dips his finger in it, tastes it, and he's like, ah, these are drugs, they're selling oh. drugs to these kids, I'm like, oh god, oh no, so yeah, there's to say, I had to sneak it, you know, I had to sneak some, uh, uh, tsunami time after that, but no, it's just I get you. Very weird. <laughs> no, tsunami's great. I'm I'm glad it exists. It's it's something that hasn't been re- replicated as perfect, perfectly as it has in like the early 2000s. It is something that is a beautiful moment in time that we may never have again. But we're so glad it happened. Yeah, I mean the the, the closest thing is uh, Adult Swim's iteration of Toonami because uh, they did eventually bring it back. I want to say like 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. um, and I guess enough people tune in for it because uh, it's still going on and they're uh, constantly updating the uh, the roster, the scheduling, and stuff uh, like that. Um, and they're able to show. Uh, all the uncut versions of shows that used to be on there, uh, which is neat. Because uh, I remember cool. uh, back in Toonami, uh, the, the heyday of it, uh, Toonami Classic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the the <laughs> the, uh, the things that they had to go through in order to get some of the content on Toonami was... Uh, impressive sometimes like obviously some of the blood in dbz that's that's one thing but the thing Mm -hmm. about dbz is that aside from like punching people in the face repeatedly and like tossing them through mountains i wouldn't say dbz is the most graphic of shows but then you get a bunch of other shows where not so much a lot of things had to be changed yeah uh to the point where uh when tsunami was being moved into the later evenings uh that's when they were saying oh hey uh you you think you've seen dbz oh well you haven't seen dbz uncut and to like really signify that it was uh different from normal dbz they they had like this just super edgy uh alternate intro uh for the uncut uh airings and it was uh it was something all right oh but i mean uh the fact that this stream pretty obviously not flawlessly but seamlessly i want to say is able to just completely recreate that era of television and just capture the essence of the broadcasting block uh i think it's great 
And if people want to relive it or experience it for the first time, I think this is probably the best way. Mm. Uh, Because previously, the best thing that you could do is find, like, some of the old promos on uh, YouTube and the quality would always vastly vary uh, depending on which video you watch. So being able to have it not just recreate the block, but also just recreate an era of uh, television, honestly, it's it's great because uh, you obviously have to look at the schedule to see what's on at what time and you have to like plan out, oh, this is when I'll tune in because I remember that show. I want to watch it. Oh, here's that show that I remember being on back in the day, but I never actually got around to watching it. So I want to watch it now. So I'll tune in at like two o'clock and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know? And what's neat is that, uh, kind of like what Scott was saying, uh, there are multiple channels. There's a Eastern and Pacific uh, channel for like the different time zones. Uh, so if something comes on at an earlier time that you weren't able to tune in for, uh, it'll eventually show up again on the other one. Uh, so because the schedules are vastly different on both, you can just tune in to either one and see what's on. Um, mm-hmm. But what's also kind of nifty is uh, it kind of goes one step further. Uh, it actually has two additional channels. One is just a movie channel that shows a bunch of films that uh, came out during the time, you know, from like uh, 90s, 2000s. There's also just a music channel is constantly streaming all kinds of tracks that you would probably find on a Toonami. A lot of techno, little chill, hip hop sort of tracks as well uh a lot of which come from uh samurai champloo another good show that happens to have uh steve bloom (laughs) as the main character (laughs) bit of a reoccurring thing with that on toonami not surprising though Mm Mm-hmm. yeah i get that and actually it's on the movie channel that i uh i came across a few of the movies that i recommended one of which was oddly enough a river runs through it that's how i first uh saw it no shit yeah that's how i saw it i didn't expect that kind of movie to be on there but i guess they play all kinds of stuff i remember also seeing um oh geez what else was it that i saw i remember seeing apollo 13 on there uh they had one of the later nightmare on elm streets at one point playing uh all kinds of stuff. It it varies. And some of some of the movies I would pop on and I'd be like, "Okay, I I don't know what this is. I don't recognize it. This seems like one of those under the radar movies that I never heard of." Mhm. Which only made me more interested cuz I'm just like, "Whoa. I want to know. Please show me." The strangers oh. like me. <laughs> For anyone interested in reliving or experiencing Toonami for the first time, uh, check out Toonami Aftermath. It is a fantastic fan project, and I implore people to tune into it every so often, because it is a treat on multiple levels. Hey, even the commercials are good. Yes, even the commercials. Even the commercials. I mean, I remember seeing commercials for, like, uh, Crash Bandicoot, Ratchet and Clank, some Hot Wheels game, and like Twisted Metal. I mean, it brings you back. And if you like going through those little uh, 
sequences of uh, nostalgia just slapping you straight in the face, uh, you, you, you'll you'll have quite the time on this stream. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Now we have ourselves a little topic to discuss based on a very 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 old property that uh, only now is getting a more modern up-to-date adaptation uh, one that Scott and I both saw that we'll be happy to share our thoughts on uh, that being uh, the recently released uh, both theatrically and on HBO Max Dune released by a guy named Dennis and I'll just call him Dennis because I can't pronounce his last name consistently correct. Welcome it's to okay, because I can. What is it, Scott? Villanueva. Bless you. Villanueva? No, what is it actually? Dennis Villanueva. I'll write that down. Better not mess it up this time. <laughs> Dennis Vill. Vill. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Villpil. There you go. It's perfect. Anywho, uh, the movie is Dune, uh, a recent sci-fi romp uh, based on an old series of books that previously had a film adaptation uh, directed by David Lynch that was a movie, <laughs> which is uh, about as much as I can say, because sadly, if I had more time on my hands, I would have liked to watch that Dune um, in preparation for this, because... Uh, the differences between what the movies are trying to accomplish is fascinating. Uh, because this Dune, the, the modern one, is technically only chapter one of uh, multiple chapters. Uh, whereas the old Dune, uh, the one directed by David Lynch, was trying to uh, tell the complete story of Dune all in a... Uh, all in one movie, uh, which, if I'm not Good mistaken, luck. that's six books all in one. Nick, it, hey, Ian, those aren't books. Those are book books. Those are tomes. The size of those books <laughs> dwarf most other. You can't look. And they're thicker than some of those are thicker than my abdomen. They're insane. <laughs> You do not understand the sense of scale of these books. Each one of them <laughs> is an odyssey that you must trek through. You that's, you could barely put one into a book, let alone fucking. Right, my bad. You can let alone put one into a movie, let alone six. Right. And I'm pretty sure there are spinoffs as well. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. So we're essentially potentially going to get a Dune cinematic universe. Oh shit! I mean, that makes more sense. I mean, I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I can see uh, with the kind of director Dennis is maybe not being privy to that. I don't know. It has potential for it, but eh, we'll see what happens. I don't want it to get too oversaturating because that's kind of how I feel with the MCU currently. He wants People to have their different opinions, but direct every Dune thing himself, I think. Trilogy and Doom I mean, I'm Saga. down for it because if we could start anywhere, uh, Vision, he's got it and he delivered it. <laughs> Honestly, um, I don't want to, you know, make this like a, a bigger than life sort of thing, but if I had to like 
get straight to the point. I can't think of too many movies that are like this. And I think it's impressive that I can actually say that about a film coming out nowadays. Because it's uh, it's been a while since people have been able to say that about a, a, a movie that is so different and so um, ambitious with its vision that you can say, oh yeah, uh, you partly go and see this because there really are very few films like it, you know? I mean, that's that's kind of how people were talking about Star Wars back in the day. That's how people were talking about 2001 back in the day. And I'm not saying that this is like, you know, revolutionizing things in the industry on the same level that they did, but, I mean... It has the presence that uh, they had. So, I mean, I, I often hear that there's there's two periods of, like, sci-fi movies and books. Before Dune and after Dune. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, those, those books, for as uh, large and sometimes never-ending as they may feel, uh, they, they are very uh, significant books that mm-hmm. uh, sort of laid the uh, groundwork for uh, future properties and all that uh scott what did you think of dune (laughs) i loved it it's so good (laughs) it is honestly one of the best movies in my opinion to have come out in the last five years uh cinematography was beautiful i everyone played their respective role brilliantly uh, unfortunately, I have a single gripe with the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that? It is dark at times, and I cannot see. Yeah! Yeah! Uh, I, I have to agree with you. Um, there were quite a few times where I'm, like, having to squint to be able to see, like, some of the details that I feel like I should be able to see. I think it says something when I'm sitting there and I'm questioning, okay, is something wrong with the projector up in the booth? What, I, I can barely see anything in here. And usually, I only say that about movies when they're, like, on Blu-ray or something like that, because obviously you have to switch around a few things and and tidy things up when you uh put it out for uh streaming and like home release but to be saying that in the theater with no other source of light except the screen and maybe some of the leds in the uh floor panels and stuff like that um i don't think i should be asking myself that you know and then there would be plenty of other scenes where like they seem adequately uh lit and all that where i didn't have that issue but yeah i have to agree that there were still a handful of times where uh it it was a little dim a little difficult to see you know like requiem dim like uh aliens versus uh uh i i i would have to say yes i don't know if it's on the same level uh, cause it's only a few scenes where I was, uh, saying that, but it, uh, those scenes went on long enough to where I'm like, are they gonna, like, turn on a light or something? Are they gonna, I don't know, is something dramatic gonna happen and a light source is gonna just flash on or something? I, I feel like that's what they're doing, but no, the whole scene is just super dark and I can't see anything. <laughs> Shit. 
Yeah, but otherwise, uh, it only happened a few times, and uh, when it went to another scene that has some gorgeous cinematography and some gorgeous production design and, like, the different uniforms and costumes and prosthetics that they're using, it just drew me in. Honestly, okay. it drew me in. So I, I completely forgot about that when the next scene came on. Obviously, when the movie was over, I was like, yeah, it would have been nice if I could actually see some of the details in the background. But, again, only a few scenes where that was a problem. I guess the only other thing is, like, certain moments of, like, uh, actor direction. And maybe it's just, like, scripting or something, but there would be a few times where, like, characters are doing something with their, uh, with, like, some prop or, like, their hands or they're, like, doing some kind of gesture where by the end of the scene I'm like, well, wait, hang on, what, why, why, why did I see that? What just happened? Was that supposed to mean something that I'm supposed to pick up on? Because that just sort of happened, and now we're just moving on. Hang on a second. Hold up. You know? Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Exactly. Hold a minute. <laughs> now, 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 what the diddly squat just happened there? Something's not Somebody give me the remote. Room. Oh, wait a sec. <laughs> I gotta turn up my gamma on my TV to see. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I mean, if I had a remote and uh, the the theater was just a giant uh, Roku TV, I would have re uh, rewinded and tried to see what happened. But eh, what can you mm -hmm. do? Uh oh, I was actually very surprised with the pacing of the movie because um, with uh, Dennis's previous sci-fi film that I'm also a huge fan of, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, that is a much slower movie, uh, in terms of its pacing, and I had thought with the kind of atmosphere and tone that, uh, Dune has, uh, I would have figured it would have been a movie that takes its time in areas, and it does in certain scenes, but I guess I was surprised by how, um, frankly, it, it didn't feel its actual length of two and a half hours, um... It actually moved pretty quickly, but not rushed. Everything felt natural with how long we were sitting in certain scenes. We got just enough to understand what's going on and be invested with what's happening, which is very important with this kind of movie. But uh, it never feels like we uh, we're wasting time, which is neat, you know? It keeps people engaged, especially with this kind of uh, story, um, which, from what I understand, was something that the original Dune did not do so well at. Uh, the original Dune failed to get any semblance of, like, an audience, you know? And over the years, it kind of became like a, like a cult classic sort of film, where people appreciate it for, like, its different uh, film techniques and um, production design. Which is one thing that I hear people still, you know, give credit to the original attempt at a, a Dune film. Uh, it's just this one, it's much more approachable, you know? Because, for one thing, it has a hell of a lot less of just janky, weird shit that kind of, like, I don't know, creeps you out, which the original had... Which I wouldn't be surprised if that came from David Lynch, because David Lynch kind of just 
puts that stuff in his movies <laughs> mm-hmm. oftentimes. Uh, he also uh, throws temper tantrums when he uh, sees people watching movies on their phones. Really? Oh, yeah, that, that that's a whole thing. Uh, there's this uh, famous clip of him complaining about uh, how people never truly watch uh, movies if it's on their phones uh, because they haven't truly experienced it the way it was intended. So he, he has this <laughs> this specific quote where he's like, you'll never, ever truly experience it if you're watching the movie on your fucking phone. Get real. <laughs> Shit. And I think uh, he, he also equated that to sort of leaking into just streaming movies in general, where it has to be in the theater, where, hey, I mean... I would say, for a movie like this, you see in the theater. The cinematography is too expansive enough to not see it in the theater. And I can also understand why, with the whole HBO Max thing, uh, Dennis was also a little uh, ruffled in the jimmies, if you know what I mean, when um, it was announced that it was going to do that dual release. Because this kind of movie only has one chance to really make back its money, and that's in theater revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's going to be more of these, it has to. And considering he already signed off on doing multiple movies with Warner Brothers, you would think Warner Brothers would know they have to do everything in their power to make sure it makes money. <laughs> you know? Since they're putting so much faith in Dennis and his team and all these other things. And here they are going, oh, you know, HBO, put it on HBO too. Put it on HBO, where uh, if you just buck up the fifteen ninety nine a month, you know, you can just kind of watch it multiple times with no restrictions with as many people as you want. And you could have other people sign into your account and stream it on their own devices which means they don't have to pay for it. I mean, shoot, if, if you buck up the $16 uh, just to watch Dune, I mean, just for those $16, fucking 20 people could potentially watch it if you just have enough people come over or you just let them sign into your HBO account. I mean, it's this kind of stuff where it's just, what 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 were they thinking, is what I question. But, uh, Sammy Boy, I think you should definitely go and watch it. When you have the chance. That's what I was thinking. It sounds pretty darn good. It sounds like an investment as well. Uh, not as much as you may think. Obviously, uh, you'll have to pl- somewhat plan out your day to go and see it. Because it is two and a half hours. But, I'll tell you one thing. It won't feel like two and a half hours. You know? Okay. Yeah. And uh, there's another film that also uh, doesn't feel its length. A little film that I recommended. A film that I was very excited to recommend, actually. That is our feature film that we're going to be discussing today. That being Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, Do You Remember Love? Dear God. Oh, man. Quite the mouthful. That's why I just call it Macross, Do You Remember Love? Or just Do You Remember Love? Which may confuse some people, because apparently there was another property. I don't know if it was like a TV movie or just a movie in general called Do You Remember Love? That came out not too long after it. 
a little confusing for some, but I mean, I never heard of it until now. Anywho, um, this is a anime film from uh, 1980. Oh shit, when was it? 84. 84. This is an anime film from 1984, which is. I want to say a alternate telling of the uh, the Macross TV show that came out a few years prior. Very popular for its time, and uh, it was popular enough that uh, over in the States, it was localized as uh, Robotech, which is a, a topic that we'll get into a little bit at the tail end of this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, Macross is essentially about uh, humanity uh, taking refuge on this uh, giant spaceship, a transformable spaceship uh, called the Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. <laughs> Macross. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, the reason that they are taking refuge on this ship is because Earth uh, was attacked by this alien race known as the Zentradi. Uh, because they were trying to, uh, as they claim, reclaim possession of the Macross. It apparently belonged to them at one point. In an attempt to escape, uh, the Macross uh, traveled halfway across the uh, the solar system, basically at the, the, the tail end of it, now that I think about it, and uh, has to make its way back home, back to Earth, so that, uh, you know, humanity doesn't... Um, die uh and to defend themselves humanity also pilots these transformable mecha robots that turn into fighter jets which uh are in no way transformers i assure you it's uh it's it's humanity fighting off a bunch of aliens in giant robots i mean how much more badass does it get than that um now of course there's a bit more going on with that because uh, the main character, Hikaru, is uh, getting into a bit of a relationship with a pop star uh, named uh, Minmei in the midst of this conflict, surprisingly developing a positive relationship with this pop star, which if I had to begin anywhere, just kind of going into uh, some of the nitty gritty of uh, this this movie in terms of what it covers... Uh, music also plays a big part in this, uh, story's, um, thematic elements and stuff like that. For the most part, because it has its, it has its moments still. Pretty positive attitude, uh, you know, in humanity. Uh, kind of uplifting at points, uh, considering the situation that they're in. Uh, making the best of things, I suppose. Uh... Yeah. So. They were happy until they weren't. Yeah. They were happy until things kind of went south, you know. <laughs> but until then, they were doing a little jig in between all that. So, you know, they they were still styling and profiling up until that point. So, fellas. What did we think of uh, Macross in terms of general thoughts okay i'm gonna start my opinion by just getting this off my chest i'm more of a gundam guy so take that into consideration when i when i say my next little Mm -hmm. bit so when you're going into this movie you 
what really helps is I don't know how to put this. Scott, go ahead. It's not negative. It's just I don't know how to say it. Hmm. You want me to go first? Okay. Yes, please. All right. Oh boy. boy. (laughs) So this will probably be my second foray into Mecha, if you will. Um, First being Gundam Thunderbolt. Um, Very good choice. I liked the design of the jet fighters with legs. Um, I really didn't know what to think about the fact that they had legs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I also... I liked a lot of the design of the ships in this. Um, I wasn't really a huge fan of the story. Okay. Um... I thought it, I kind of predicted a lot of what was going to happen, and it turned out right. Uh-huh. I just thought it was kind of dumb. <laughs> the fights were cool. I getcha. Um, but I just couldn't really get behind the whole music saving the human race. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's what I wasn't a big fan of. Ah. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I like the design of a lot of the ships, though, um, as, okay. as well as the uh, space ATSTs. Yeah, yeah the uh, the 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 Zentradi the Zentradi ships. Walkers. They look like ATSTs. <laughs> they look more like STDs. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I liked a few of the characters. I didn't like them okay. all. Uh, I liked Roy. I mean, like Roy, Roy is an auto he's <laughs> just the fucking best um, he, he may or may not have a little segment that we go on about for a good 10 minutes I'm just saying um I did not like Hikaru oh you didn't I did not I thought it was very annoying oh man I really honestly hoped he died <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez you didn't like him that much no oh well i mean what what was it that you just didn't like about him if we can go into nitty-gritty i just thought he was just in my opinion super angsty and just the fact that he basically like oh i'm done this girl's dead uh time to move on to the next uh what well, uh, mm. I don't know if it plays out like that. Oh, that's how it felt to me, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, mm. You're wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, uh, you were kind of trying to put your thoughts out there earlier. Uh, have you found a way to maybe formulate that a little more? So, I think it's a very rock-solid film. For okay. uh, basically a movie version of an anime, it's as, it's as basically as good as it's going to get. You know what I mean? And it's not a negative thing. I'm saying it's it's pretty solid. I think they included most of what I believe they needed to include. And I think it was wrapped up very well. Um, but it's it's way more of a drama, a romance drama, than it is a mecha anime. In some ways. And if you go yeah. in if you go in thinking it's Gundam, you might be disappointed. But if you go in accepting for what it is, there's it's pretty damn good. Honestly, the characters, you know, say what you will, but they they feel mostly realistic for their, you know, for their circumstances. 
and the, the romance angles and other relationships do make the movie worth watching by themselves because there's a lot of development in that space you know what i mean in that in that uh part of it mm -hmm. and I, I like that quite a bit um valkyries are not as cool as gundams and zakras let's be honest they're cool love them <laughs> love them to death but uh -huh. no, nothing can be a good old be a good old mono-eyed zaku it was very ham-fisty very cheesy with the oh is this culture <laughs> yeah. love but at the same time it, it takes itself so seriously in that that there's almost like a dedication you have to respect and i really liked about it how all in they went Oh yeah, yeah, and and if I can be really clear about something, that's actually part of the reason I I love this film so much. Um, mm -hmm. It is very cheesy. It gets really silly, but if I can equate it to something, it's cheesy and silly in the same way that like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are. There's such a heart to the center of it, and such a a, a spirit of. Uh, honestly, in most cases, positivity and just hopefulness that I, I kind of fall in love with it, uh, which, which is funny because it's technically all about love. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically, <laughs> it's kind of like Interstellar 555, but if it was a mecha and had dialogue. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, even though, honestly, even the idea, it's basically, if you really want to look at it, it's almost like a lead up to a musical that begins one of the biggest genocides in that galaxy's history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, genocide maybe is not the right word. Holocaust, I'd use. Because there's a uh, lot of death maybe. that is involved. But no, I, I really, I, I think the strengths of that aspect, the relationship angle, and how far they go with the concept, and again, how positive it is, is a good contrast to some of the other mecha enemies out at the time, especially like Gundam, which Gundam is more, way more down-to-earth but is way more gritty. Not saying there's not any yeah. grittiness in Macross, because people get fucking capped in Macross. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have my complaints with this movie. I have my complaints. Uh, I don't see it as entirely flawless. Um, if I can start somewhere with my own complaints, uh, this movie, um, it gets a little tonally inconsistent at points, and it's not because of, like, well, okay, some of it is because of, like, what's happening in the story, but when people are dying or being blown up and stuff like that, it's because, you know, the stakes are, are, are raised in terms of what is going to be lost and stuff like that. So I felt like those moments, they came as, like, oh, this is the end game. This, this is it. Humanity is on the brink of being destroyed and stuff like that. It has to play that up. People have to die. What I'm getting at, though, is not the story events. No, 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 no. It's some of the graphic material, because here's here's a little something. Um, So people obviously blow up, they get shot, they die, and stuff like that. All that jazz. I mean, stormtroopers and, and unmasked people in Star Wars get shot all the time and they fall over they have like little bullet holes in them and all that that that's one thing but when in one of the first battle sequences of this movie happens and you have a uh, one of the Valkyrie pilots Max uh who by the way may or may not be a god among men because of how much are of a fucking freak of a pilot he is a unit if you will <laughs> 
um, where where uh, one of the things he does is that he gets into a little bit of like a like a tussle with a Zentradi soldier, gets him in like a lock, and then point blank to his face riddles the soldier with bullets, and you see the graphic detail of this soldier's face getting torn to shreds. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I had to pause the movie the first time I saw it, because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute! Wasted. Wait a minute! <laughs> what yeah. just happened? Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, and, and there's multiple moments like that, where apparently with one of the, um... One of the Blu-ray re-releases, they they fixed it later on because fans complained about, you know, revisionist changes and stuff like that and how the original should be preserved. But some of those were actually censored and, like, animated differently uh, because of how graphic some of them get. I, I mean, you have other shots like uh, a Zentradi soldier having, like, this triple-barreled laser cannon being shoved into his uh, power suit... And then point blank having his face disintegrated. When the Macross is being attacked later on and debris is falling all over the place, there's a civilian that's running away towards the camera, and he gets fucking decapitated at one point. Yeah, it was very graphic. I'm, I'm sitting there going, I, ooh, that that's actually a little like off-putting. You have like this very uplifting moment, which we'll get into later on in the final battle where there's this music piece playing, it's just kind of, you know, a little off-putting with the whole scene when uh, a, a literal dude gets decapitated. <laughs> mm -hmm. It, it kind of sours the uh, the gravitas of the scene, in my opinion. It, it kind of ruins it a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, spoiler, like, the song at the end is like the song in the movie, essentially. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which we'll we'll go into more detail as we go along, but it is. Mm. It's a fucking holocaust. <laughs> a little, oh my god, a, a lot bit. of people die at the end. I mean, yeah, it's pretty on brutal. both sides, but you know, it's the power of culture, really. <laughs> yeah, the culture of war, baby. Which, speaking of the power of culture, let's uh, let's get there. So, uh, music and all that is one of the things that is not only at the center of this film, but is the center of the Macross franchise. There are other spin-off shows uh, that continue a lot of the thematic stuff. And I will say that in the other shows, some of the more down-to-earth ones, like uh, one that Sam and I actually watched uh, called Macross Plus, four-episode OVA fantastic in that regard this one i think is the most uh heartfelt but also the most uh blunt expression of music being this um very powerful form of expression of the human race which when you really think about it that is what music is it, it it's like the most uh true to form way of expressing yourself you know, and all that, and uh, the way that the music almost becomes, like, uh, a weapon for the humans to use in the movie is because uh, the Zentradi are a fascinating alien race that I, I don't think uh, many people give credit to, uh, that I kind of thought about when watching this film uh, recently. The Zentradi are essentially like these artificially 
as their creators refer to them, uh, manufactured warrior race. Uh, they are created to act as soldiers and essentially conquer whatever they set their sights on and stuff like that. And in this case, especially in the case of humanity, they go the extra mile to do that because um, it's hinted that humanity and Zen, uh, the Zentradi essentially have like this ancestral tie. They refer to the humans not as humans, but Micronians. Because they're small. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, I guess, since we're going into nitty-gritty, let's go on ahead and just say spoilers. It's revealed further into the story, both in the show and in the movie, that humans and Zentradi actually are two descendant races of uh, this older ancient race known as the Proto-Delvin that were the uh, creators of what is constantly referred to as proto-culture and uh, proto-culture is essentially uh at least how i read it the beginnings of i guess civilized life in the universe where it's not just organisms having like simplistic structure in how they function but also what deviates them from just being any other organism it, it, it gives them foundation and makes well, for example, humans human. What gives uh, humanity the intricacies that it has compared to just generic aliens and stuff like that. And same thing with the, uh, the Zentradi. However, the thing about the Zentradi as a race is that their creators intentionally have gone uh, to great lengths to distance themselves from their ancestral ties. Uh, they see protoculture as a sickness, a weakness, and something to be destroyed uh, because they want total annihilation of anything that doesn't fall in line with uh, how they want to rule in the universe. Uh, because fighting and conquering is all that the Zentradi know. Music, in a way... Given that it's, when you think about it, the most boiled down and succinct form of human expression, and therefore of protoculture, uh, it actually sends them into this, this almost like panic attack whenever they come across it. Because they've been told all their lives and instructed, uh, protoculture is to be feared and therefore destroyed, because if you are exposed to it, uh, you are no longer Zentradi, you, you you are tainted. You have to destroy it before it completely changes you. And I think it's interesting how in the movie, uh, the Zentradi almost go through a arc as a whole race because uh, they start learning more and more about protoculture because some of them are actually, well, what even is protoculture? Like, what 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 is it? A few of the main characters actually get captured and are brought onto one of their ships and questioned, you know, what's this, what's that? Uh, we don't understand any of this. And, you know, the characters are kind of taken aback by just how uncivilized they come across, how, how simplistic they are in terms of how they function as uh, people. And I think uh, how they essentially, by the end of the movie, say, you know what? We come from something that is so much more positive, so much more healthy, so much more prosperous 
we don't want to destroy it. We want to fight for it and keep it alive. Which is why in uh, the final battle of the movie, a lot of them uh, join the side of the humans and uh, fight the big bad guys that uh, want to still destroy protoculture. And I think, honestly, after I kind of came to realize a lot of this stuff, protoculture and all that, and just in relation to the Zentradi, it's easily one of the most interesting uh, parts. When you kind of look past the fact that, yeah, how they express that, it's it's admittedly a little on the nose and a little cheesy, you know what I mean? Uh, but I mean, other than that, uh, some of the best parts, as you could probably guess, are the Valkyrie, uh, combat scenes. Cause, uh, ooh boy, <laughs> with, uh, being such a big fan of aviation, uh, I feel like Miyazaki would be quite a big fan of a lot of this, um, animation. Uh, they put a lot of heart into animating those scenes. You can always tell it's hand-drawn because it looks good. Oh, the texture, the fluidity of it. Movement. Mm-hmm. It's just organic. Mm-hmm. For what it's time period allowed. So I do have to ask, fellas, uh, what was your opinion on uh, another staple of the um, the Macross uh, franchise? That being the love triangle between uh, Hikaru, Minmei, and another character, uh, Misa. You know what? I never was a huge fan of Love Trials, but I mean, I assume it happens in the show as well. So it's probably far uh, more it developed does. in the show. And, I mean, it has a little more time to breathe in the show, definitely. So it's it's probably a little bit better in the show for me. I mean, it, it was kind of weird that it happened, but at the same time, I, I've seen a lot worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of dug it, and it felt more natural than a lot of other stuff, but it still kind of felt jarring just because it, it is only two hours. You know, roughly two-hour movie based on a, a super long show. So you know you. what? Not bad. It, interesting. No. I, I do like, like I was saying earlier, in terms of the compliments. I do. It it was character growth. You know, what I mean, for both the characters involved, and I did like that quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a beginning and end with all their arcs and stuff like that. And uh, it's just a shame that in uh, in the case of one particular character, uh, his end came a little. A little too early, in my opinion. That is, of course, the mad lad, uh, Roy Foker. Or as we all collectively call him, Fokker. <laughs> yeah. Because he's oh. one little Fokker. Yeah, they killed him off because they knew the people liked him too much. And totally oh, yeah. Character. yeah. That's the only reason they so, did it. The, 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 the best way I can boil down Roy is, like, he is the badass... Uh, suave older brother to uh, Hikaru, essentially. He's yeah. not his actual brother, but they basically are. They're just so close with one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's the leader of the squadron for a reason, because he is very upfront with his intentions, both in the cockpit and also when he's uh, goofing around back on the macros. <laughs> hmm. Oh, my goodness. There's only so many ways... That we could build up this man. Scott, what did you think of Roy? I liked him. He was one of the few characters I actually liked. I mean, I just wish he had more screen time. I do too. And I think how the show handles his departure is a bit, uh, a bit better. 
they were like trying to go for that whole like uh i don't know obi-wan-esque death where it just happens and it's you know a bit of a surprise but it kind of loses uh i don't know like the 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 weight of it because yeah you feel bad because you like him and now he's dead but eh, i don't know you kind of forget about it as scenes go on you know in terms of the longevity of his you know absence which is something that again the show does do a bit better admittedly well given that this is a musically inclined movie uh what do you guys think of the the soundtrack oh it it's good on its own but i feel bad for it coming you know way after we already did interstellar five 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 yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> that, that that I mean that to be fair though, that's compares between an actual musical and this. Um, it's good. I like it. It's a it's a good song. And I mean, J pop was never really my thing, but it, what makes it memorable is what happens while it's going on. It's literally used as a tool of war, <laughs> which is in a way, the yeah. funniest fucking thing because it's a song about oh, love. especially in the final battle the the final battle is one of the most memorable parts of the movie because of just how how much whimsy is in it and how it just completely turns the tide of the uh you know the the conflict and all that and how it brings so many people together i mean again it's pretty silly it's cheesy and it's just like Seriously thinking about it, maybe not the most down-to-earth way of uh, defeating the big bad, but, uh, oh god, does it make for a just, mm, an impactful just final sequence. Mm-hmm. The animation is on all cylinders, too. Especially when fucking Hikaru flies into the main mothership, goes through all these different tunnels, stops right in front of the main bad guy, and just completely demolishes him with, like, a minigun, a bunch of missiles and laser cannons all at once. It was apparently uh, scenes like that that uh, brought about, like, this this trope in mecha anime where you have similar scenes where, like, a mecha is shooting, like, all its weapons at once and they just call it the Macross Missile Massacre. That sounds about right. Because he yeah, demolishes Because it. it is a massacre, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ugh. I love it. Well, my recommendation's pretty clear, uh, since I feel like we've talked about everything we need to regarding Macross. Uh, would you fellas recommend it? You know what? I would. I think it's a good old time. Solid. Maybe not the greatest thing ever, but still, a solid film nonetheless. I don't know if I can. <laughs> No. No, I just didn't really enjoy it. Didn't feel it. Any specific reason? or It's just, I just didn't like a lot of the characters. Which, I I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's surprising. I, I guess it's just like, I don't know. Doesn't seem like there's a lot with the characters I would see as annoying. Well, mm, maybe Minmay. Minmay has her moments. Yeah, especially towards the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, she gets a, a, a little little too selfish towards the end. But hey, she snaps out of it and realizes, hey, I, I need to stop being so selfish and actually um, do something for the betterment of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is character Even growth. Though, yeah. So, eh, I mean, if that's how you feel about it, that's a okay, Scott. 
Um, so okay this ain't a perfect movie. Uh, but mm, I still love it after all these years. And it's a shame that we had to watch it through, like, YouTube and not, like, some other means. Because for a movie as beautiful as this is, it has gotten re-releases and pretty good remasters. They just haven't been released in the U.S. And there is a really stupidly big can of worms as to why that is. But to make a long story short, when uh, Macross had its licensing rights purchased by a company called Harmony Gold back in the day, uh, and it was localized as Robotech, Harmony Gold, what they wanted to do was uh, sidestep all the import taxes that come from... Uh, having a uh, future material past the original show, you know, constantly be paid and stuff like that. So what they did was they actually went to court, argued that uh, they just have licensing rights to everything Macross. And the situation for the longest time was that if the Japanese studios wanted to have their Macross material released worldwide, and obviously in North America especially, they would have to pay obscene amounts of money to have that happen mm -hmm. uh, to the point where they would not make anything from it, uh, which essentially had the franchise in, like, this chokehold for 30 years. And it was only until recently that they finally... <laughs> finally worked out a deal where more Macross material, Macross proper, by the way, not Robotech, Macross, can actually have releases uh, and other material like games and stuff like that uh, come stateside, which is great because mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people that would love Macross. There is a following for Macross in America. It's just, it can be bigger if it weren't for the fact that it's been, you know, kept overseas because of, you know, fucking Harmony Gold being a bunch of money-grubbing assholes. Sounds about right. Anywho, that's all the Macross I can talk about today. <laughs> for now. Yes, of course. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, take care. Adios, amigos. Bye bye Farewell.